Hey everyone, hope you're going well. Today I wanted to release a special bonus episode. I managed to get my interview in with Bill James, someone who's um, was a real late in life um, kind of dyslexic realization. And we talk about how he got through school, how he's become, you know, a very highly paid speaker, a very professional speaker, how he communicates in the world, um, and some of the some of the bumps along the road that he managed to navigate and how he did that. I think it'll be a it's a really good episode. It's longer than usual, but it's all good value. So uh, I know people are crying out for a little bit more a uh, little bit more content. So this is a cracker. I've also popping the video up on our Truth About Dyslexia YouTube channel. So make sure you subscribe there if you'd like to see our beautiful shining faces. Have an epic day and enjoy the interview. Hey everybody and welcome to the Truth About Dyslexia podcast. You might be watching this on a video or you might be listening to it on your phone. And today I've got a very special guest, someone I've known for years and had a huge amount of respect for, uh, Bill James. He's an amazing orator and speaker. I've seen him speak numerous times and he has such uh, amazing flow. Um, I've asked him onto the podcast because I know a lot of people have talked to me about speaking, uh, communication, how to get your uh, thoughts out your head in a way people can actually understand and connect with. And I know Bill is so skilled at this. So welcome, Bill. Uh, thank Hi. you for being here. No problem <laughs> for you, anything. Well, you know, within most, most most things. <laughs> so we'll we'll dive into this, mate. So let let's start by you know I like to start these by going back into your story a little bit about how you grew up because I know I know you weren't diagnosed at an early age. It was something you kind of come to, and I think it's um it's probably important to look at some of those pieces. So I'd, 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 our listeners would love to hear your story. Okay, um, well I won't go all the way back to the beginning, but coming out to New Zealand in 1971. Uh, right in the middle of Pommy Bastard period was interesting because I used to speak like that. You know, hello, you were native, and I was a great target. Um, tubby little fella, uh, I, I was just oh, brilliant. We'll go hit this guy, and had all sorts of challenges. And to some degree, the challenges that have gone through school. Um, one reason I didn't get bothered hugely by things like my dyslexia was I. I had enough challenges in other places that it just didn't seem to matter. Um, I was very fortunate to grow up in an era where while children aren't kind, everyone was just pretty much accepted. If you had someone in your class who wasn't as bright, they might have been nicknamed Thicky, which wasn't very good, but they were always accepted as part of the mainstream group. Um, and so people were, people were just, oh, well, that's just how they are. Uh, and while we've learned a lot more about the various things, I think we've probably become almost paranoid about various things. And so as soon as a kid gets a word backwards at school, everybody jumps on and gets counsellors and throws them on Ritalin and all this stuff. And I think I went through school in a way where you kind of had the platform and you had the surroundings where you sorted your own stuff out. Um, and so all the way through school, I, I knew... I had some quickness. Uh, I started in the bottom class, got one great teacher who put me on a pedestal because I could sing and I had this beautiful English voice who was the English master and the choir master and I used to sing sort of three, three and a half octaves and bang, he changed my whole world. And from that point on, I was up in the 
the, the top end classes. So having someone like that really helps. And I soon determined, as much as anything else, because my father was like this, he served a lot of people. Uh, when he died, he was up for a Queen's Award for services. And uh, I've, I grew up very soon serving other people. And it sounds a bit subservient, and I guess in some ways it can be, but I love to provide for others, and it's what I'm still doing now is to help other people succeed in their lives. And I dug this out and showed it to you beforehand. My, my mum dug this out of a jewellery box and said, oh, is this yours? It's a funny little award I got from my school. Oops, there you go. Yeah, and it's sort of awards than anybody else. But it was always for, you know, coaching, for helping in a social committee. It was certainly for acting, mm -hmm. for singing, for things like that. Um, and I found I, I very soon learned to engage and engage very openly and very honestly. And one of the defences I grew very quickly around dyslexia, not even really realising I had it, was that I was open about everything and therefore people were open back. And the communication became very heartfelt very quickly. I got, you know, a lot of, uh, most most of the school teachers I knew on a first name basis. Um, and mm. I found that communication and the openness really helped me through. I let me just stop you there, Bill, because that's amazing. That's that's really, you know, I guess I want to just cover off some of the things I'm hearing. So, um, and, and what we see in a lot of people is exactly that: is we're very giving. Most most dyslexics have this natural um, emotional connection. We're very empathetic. We sometimes can't always pick up on why we are, but we are naturally. And, and you, it sounds like that was a massive thing. And we use that and humor a lot to kind of get us through through a lot of challenges. And um, what I love is that you kind of picked up on that and that service element. Because it's funny you said that. I was thinking about professional speakers and I always remember, I, I used to coach Cam Cowcohen, who's I think mm. the number one or two speaker in New Zealand now. And uh, it was just, that was back at high school when I was just help, wanting to help and give. And I, I didn't have much to give because I was also the fat kid. I was also the fat kid. I was a bit taller, but it uh, didn't help me too much. But um, it was... <laughs> they, they couldn't they couldn't they couldn't beat me up too quickly but they uh, they tried to but uh you know but it's the same thing it's like and i think it's a good thing for our listeners to hear is that you know you're probably naturally a good person you've got good intentions you try hard um and, and yeah and no, i just wanted to touch on that because i think that's that's brilliant and i love the love the award bill thank you for bringing a show and tell my uh, people will appreciate it it's funny, when I was speaking once, I was following a couple of um, Olympic rowers, and uh, so I felt I had to have an award of some sort, and I got this silly little cup for sportsmanship from local soccer clubs, so I went up and put that up there, see, you still got champions. So, but I mean, the other thing too that came with it, I, I think a lot of people who have dyslexia have the ideas. One thing I really thank dyslexia for, and that's an attitudinal thing, um is that my brain does work differently that's actually why i can be a good speaker because i see things differently it's why all through high school they had a problem you know with too many qualifying teams and i was one that sat there and went oh what we've got to do is this and i'd go and say well why didn't you do that oh that fixes the problem the difference is that i was never ever um destined to shut my mouth and, and all my teachers that turned out and said bill stop talking there's no future and it got it wrong because this is my future um mm. Being very, very much a creative brain, this is how I communicate. And I, I'm so much a believer that you play to your strengths. And 
you know, in sales, for example, uh, I did a lot of selling before I became a professional speaker. I was a national sales manager of a company when I was about 25, 26. And I could read upside down, which was an advantage. I can write upside down. I can see my maths brain is really fast. You know, I do my Sudokus quickly. All that has to do with just how my brain works. And wanting to be supportive, all I've done is create um, my own business that allows me to do what I want to do and plays to my strengths. Uh, I get bored real fast. Therefore, I move from project to project to project. Instead of fighting that, I created a business that embraces that. And that, that also started from high school onwards. Um, I'm not saying there weren't some wrong turns, some interesting experiments that failed horribly. But the thing is, I, I learned very young, uh, going through high school, I was the fat kid with the funny accent and I tried very hard to fit in. It probably took me um, at 30 on the 11th of April, uh, was my fifth wedding anniversary. On wow. the 12th of April, my dad died. And then on the 13th of April, I turned 30. And it was a real, one of those moments in life when you go, so, you know, what is that all about? And it was it was quite an emotional roller coaster. But it was a moment when, and, and again at 40, 40 was a wonderful age for me because I was old enough to be taken seriously and young enough to be taken seriously. Those two steps were my determinations to go, you know what, I'm actually good enough. Uh, and, and I would have on my wall those that care don't mind and those that mind, you know, don't care. Uh, those that mind don't matter and those that matter don't mind. Um, and I realised that I could start flicking off friends and I, I, I just got rid of a whole bunch of people that I realised weren't good for me at 30 and did the same thing at 40. I said goodbye to my groomsman. I just stopped ringing him and he didn't ring me. You know, uh-huh. that was the end of it. That's how deep the relationship was. And I determined that, I was willing to embrace who I was and stop other people defining what I should be and determine that, well, I will define what I will be. Um, You know, I'm happily defined by 33 years of marriage to a lovely lady. Uh, I'm happily defined by the service that I give. Um, I'm defined by the hundreds of people I've helped get into homes. I'm defined by the thousands of people that I've helped in business. You know, I've Mm -hmm. made many, many people into millionaires. And all that is, is thinking differently and being allowing yourself to bring out the gifts that dyslexia give you, which is a different way of thinking. Um, even that empathy has become... Just one thing, Bill, I'm just going to cut in randomly, as, as the right brain thinkers do. Like, I think there's something really important in there about, about owning what you've done. And I think that's what you've built really well. And I see this happen a lot with dyslexia is we have this real challenge with um, wing it syndrome where we don't mm-hmm. actually accept, we don't actually accept that we were the key driver that made the difference. So we don't accept our accomplishments because we, we winged it. Um, and, you know, because we felt like, hey, I, I was part of it, but I hadn't planned it. So it kind of just happened. It must have been luck. And, and this kind of luck concept can get really stuck with people in the fact that, you know, even though they've actually made massive impact in the world and impact in their communities, they just feel like, hey, that was just pure luck. And I'm seeing that more and more. And I've been doing some interesting work around it. And it kind of comes back to that that fact. I don't know about school with you with math. You know, I'm the same. I've got a really quick math brain, but I can't tell you how I worked it out. 
Do you know what I mean? I can't show my workings. I can get you give me the question. I'll give you the answer. When the teacher goes, write down how you worked that out. So I know you didn't cheat. I'm like, that's the bit that I struggle with. You know, that's the bit I can't do easily. It's not natural to me to do it in that format, that slow way. It's just too quick. And I think it's the same way with a lot of stuff in real life and in work is that we get these results, these achievements that we've we've got that are amazing. We can't work out the workings of how we got there. So we actually think we've cheated. Um, I would disagree with what you said. I okay. don't think that it's about us thinking we're lucky. I think it is because we do it so naturally, we don't value it. Mm, right, so, right, so I'm, uh, I, I have before now stood in a room with 20 or 30 businesses and I reworked their byline, every single one going around the room. I do this, and, okay, try that. Oh, that's brilliant. What about you? I'll do that. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm sitting there thinking, gosh, you know, if I was an advertising agency, I'd be charging five grand a pop for this and I've just given away mm. 60, 70, 80,000 bucks worth of material. And because I have an ability to just do that, I don't mm. value it the way I should. Because I don't value it the way I should, I don't value myself for being able to do it. So I don't mm. I don't know that I think it's a lack. I don't think that I think I'm lucky. It's just that I didn't work hard to get there. Therefore, it can't have much value. And some of that is because my generational aspect is that when you work hard, it's worthy. When it comes easy, it's not. But because mm. I don't work hard at that, I find it very hard to put the value on it that other people do. Other people literally walk out of the room and change all their marketing around something I've said in a couple of seconds. And I need other people to put a value on that for me. Mm, that, that's a great point, Bill. And I, 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 hey, I'm exactly the same. I can rebuild a business in an hour and a half. And it's I'm exactly the same. And we do it so easily. But then it's the putting that, then the challenge we always have is they go, how do I do it? How do I put the steps in? And we can throw out a bunch of ideas and thoughts, but we're not the people to then carry out the dream that we've created. Would you agree? Like we we, we love like create and follow the steps. Because I guess, you know, it's all of us. We've had so many projects, so many places. It's just not, I don't think it's our strength. Would you agree? Well, I'm, I'm actually not a creative by nature. Um, so if you do kind of a Roger Hamilton style profile, I've got a star profile, so I really enjoy being on stage. Um, I've got a supporter profile. My role and purpose in life is to help other people get what they want. Um, and then I've also got a, a dealmaker style profile. And again, so I found that out and I started to build a business around that. So I have the advantage in that I'm not as massively creative as I could be. So you give me a blank piece of paper and I look at it blankly like you do. But you put a few lines and a few ideas on it and I go, oh, I know what to do with that. I need other people to start me off. So, um, I, mm. you know, I know you can start from scratch and as a creative, you have all these wonderful ideas. I need the creative to give me the ideas so I can then push it through. Now, not being a mechanical nature, that doesn't mean that I know how to work the software and what software I need. But it does mean I can put the pieces in place to take it to another stage. And what I've found that's worked for me is to go and find myself some mentoring and coaching skills because mm. the, uh, the quality of everything you do in your life will revolve around the quality of the questions you ask about yourself, about the project, about what's going on around you. Uh, and I, I find that once I've got a structure, because I'm not good on structure, 
I'll happily go and borrow a structure and go, well, why don't we just use that? So what's the first step? We need to find that out. Okay, let's go with that. What does that look like? How do we get it? What do we do? What do you think? What do you think? Great, first step done. And I have found the secret for me is to either get somebody else to do it. For years, I would have someone come and do my annual planning because I hated planning, <laughs> but I could follow the plan. So I'd pay someone to put my next year's plan together and I look at it and go, actually, yeah, that's pretty good. And then I'd do the plan. Don't ask me to put it together. <laughs> Not me. Um, so I find I borrow a structure and mm-hmm. then I can work inside that structure. Um, and life does work better with the structure. The fact that I don't like them doesn't mean they don't work. It doesn't mean they're not a good idea. It's just that it's not me. So yeah. I just, just just borrow what you need. It doesn't matter. There's, you know, we live in a world where there's more information than you can eat in a, a gazillion years. Borrow what you need. That's always the challenge, though, I think, for a lot of people is that overwhelm of there's so many options. What should I pick? How do you, how do you help decide what to follow when there are when there are a million preachers out there preaching different ways to do something? How do you how do you decide which one you go with? I decide who do I trust, and then I ask them, and then I use whatever they say. Because the fact of the matter is, most systems work. Now, I mean, you've got systems to generate business for people. It's not the only system in the world that works. It works really well, and you do a great job. But I could follow another system and have success to a lesser or greater degree. What I've mm-hmm. got to do is pick a system. So. If I go to two or three people and and don't go to more than that, because if you start going to more than that, you just get confused again. Mm. Find a couple of people you trust and go, what would you use? And they'll go this and this. I go, well, yeah, good as anything. Let's start. So don't have so many options that it it kind of plays with your head. Mm. Um, I've often gone to other people, pick their system and plug myself in. Now, if I find the system fails, in 20% of what I need, I'm still 80% of the way there and I've started. And again, mm. for me, once I've started, I'm on my roll. Right? The blank page befuddles me. The the people can give me their brochures and a bit of marketing and I'll just leverage it and leverage it and leverage it and I'll create hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of sales without any particular cost. But mm. don't give me a blank page and say create me marketing. So that's where I that's knowing my strength and playing to it. But and I think I think it's interesting you see me as someone who creates from scratch because it's it's actually not that at all. I just have gotten very good at borrowing quickly because you know I, I don't believe there are any ideas left in the world that haven't been created. They've all been created. What creativity truly is is how do you put how do you add a clock radio to something? How do you connect two things that you've seen in your mind from years ago and our long-term memories a lot better? It keeps a lot of stuff. We can't always recall it. But at the right moment, our brain will go grab, grab, connect, and it'll put it together. It's like when you see a marketing plan or you see a sales plan and you go, I've got some stuff on a blank bit of paper. Your brain installs that as an input. It goes, and then it goes out to your previous history and goes, how can I connect the dots? And it does it so quickly boom, you're now creating something new. Did you, did you, can yeah. you see that in the way you operate? No, I, I, I accept that. So um, I think also that we can help ourselves. So over the years, you know, I spent 100 US dollars on a special that produces a, um, a ring binder with 100 different micro-marketing ideas. I mean, I've got about four volumes like that under the house, and it means that if I ever need to, I just go down there and start flicking through, flicking through, flicking through. So I have also learned that you have the ability to make sure you've got what you need around you when you need it. 
Um, I actually opened those up for the first time in probably three or four years just a month ago, but I had them there and the ideas are now old. They're all offline. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but, you know, knowing where the resources are, I mean, I don't have to panic about having them in my head. I still feed back to my natural. So I, I'm now a, a, a co-owner in an organization. And just this morning, uh, the other founding partner gave me a ring and said, can you grab this for me? You do that better. And a couple of nights ago, someone said, look, this is what we're trying to do. Can you play with some titles? And I, I delight in sitting in front of the idiot box with that on my knees going, yeah. And sure enough, before I go to bed that night, I send back 12 possible titles. And, you know, mm. all I get back is comments like, where do you get this stuff? Um, How it's you, about having mechanisms that play to my strengths, right? It's, it's, it, you talked mm. about empathy before. One of the biggest things I found in sales was that I learned I was very empathic, but I needed to trust that. Mm. So it's very easy to go, mm, I think this is what I need to do, but I better be careful. I now have a damn the torpedoes attitude. I think, mm, I think this is what I need to do. Um, I'd like to make a quick observation, and I, I'm going to say something cheeky here, but you tell me if I'm on the mark or not. Is it possible that when you say this, what you're thinking about is that, 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 because we find that with other people, uh, and they certainly find it. Is, that, is there mm. anything like that going on? Uh, and people go, well, actually, yeah, that's exactly what's going on. And I'm probably right 96% of the time. Yeah. Um, and that's really been amazing with my sales career. But again, it's that element of trust. And you talked about confidence at the beginning. Uh, for me, the confidence tends to come from a, I care hugely about people. I would never know me hurt people. Mm. But I'm brave enough to chance my arm and risk hurting someone if I think I can do them a much greater good. I like and that. Right. You know what I think well, though I, as well when you say that though is you've learned what you've done really well is you've learned the framing or the packaging around the intuition. Yeah. Because like like my dad is very dyslexic. God knows he's probably in about 85 different places. And he um but he's never learned how to package that ability because he's he's probably got a 96% right ratio. But the way he comes across when he delivers it through communication, and this is a great segue into communication, when he communicates that that awareness or that intuition, he says it like he is God speaking down to his disciples, they must listen. And so what happens is everyone's back goes straight up. They go, yeah, yeah. Piss is the technical term and uh and they don't do it where i think what you've got bill and what you've learned and you're very well embedded into the way you operate is how to go i trust that intuition but i know if i deliver it like i am talking down to a disciple they're never going to accept it or or use it where you frame it in questions or you frame it in ways that are not as uh, as offensive would you say uh well the first thing for me was i find uh, and again, one of these dyslexic things is when I get into a subject, I get truly fascinated by a subject. Right? And fortunately for me, I find people fascinating. So I've been studying people all my life uh, and the nuances and the ins and the outs. And I like, you know, I love watching two people in a car in front of me and working out what their conversation is doing and what their attitude in the car is. But just by the way, their heads are working. I mean, I, I've become a real student of of a deeper sort of understanding. And I know that you can frame things incredibly effective. And one of the things you asked me at the beginning was what are some of the things you can do that actually help? So here are some. 
um, I call this the cheeky question. If you need to be brave and you've got to follow your instinct, one thing you can do is get permission to go further. So, Steve, um, mm. do you mind if I ask you something? And it's a little personal, but can I put it on the table? Would that be okay? That would now, be as soon as you go, yeah, sure. <laughs> as soon as you go, yes, I can actually ask anything. So mm. one thing you can do is you can actually get permission to go further in your conversations. Uh, and you can say things like, um, you know, you've had a really bad run, but I can see a common factor in here. But if I tell you what the common factor is, I'm not, I'm not 100% convinced you're going to thank me. Can I say it anyway? And there's that little mix of being a little candid and a little honest. Um, and people have that opportunity of going, uh, to be honest with you, I'm not into introspection today. I'd rather just tell you what's on my mind. You go, well, in that case, fine, go for it. They have the option of saying, no, go away. Uh, but once they go, yeah, sure, why not? Away you go. Um, I think the other thing, too, that goes deeper is being able to frame around your questions. So mm. too many people go, could I, could I, you know, even when you say, could I ask about, you know, say, tell me about the relationship you currently got going with your partner. And when you deliver um, pretty standard, boring cold questions you get standard boring cold answers i i'm doing a whole heap of work at the moment on a very simple premise that reasonable out is reasonable back and i'm applying this to objection handling to opening to all sorts of things and i've universally found it works if you put a reasonable proposition out into the world the world gives you a reasonable proposition back and this is just reciprocity there's nothing new in the concept i'm just applying it slightly differently um, and if you ask a reasonable question, you get a reasonable answer. If you ask something with the wrong tone, if you're nervous about it, people pick up on that and so they become defensive. When you frame a question and you have a purpose in front of the question, people find that reasonable. So, Steve, while I know it's a slightly personal thing, I, I need to go a bit deeper because for me to help, I need just a couple more bits of information. Would it be okay if I asked you a little bit about? Now, just by giving you some context mm -hmm in front of the question you understand the why of the question and you're That's much more willing to come back and play Does that make I sense? Love that. mate i love it and i think i'm a great fan i always you know i use a lot of metaphors of how things work and, and someone once told me said it this way if content is king context is the kingdom and That's nice. I, I love that as a visual representation of how it works. And, and, you know, it's a great point for anyone listening or watching is context is the thing we sometimes miss because our brains are going so quick, so quick. The visual mind is six times what a non-visual mind is in speed. Yep. So the challenge we have is we go brain dump through our mouth. It's usually translated from movies and pictures really poorly sometimes. Um, yep. And then, Boom. And if you don't give the context of what you're talking about, you could be spitting stuff out for six, seven minutes. And they're like, um, weren't we just talking about going away this weekend? And uh, why have we, how have we gotten on to how we're going to land on the moon next week? You know, do you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> we kind of go, Whoo. would you yes. agree? I do agree. And I think that's got to be coupled with having the bravery to, to take that step. If I'm someone that serves and I'm someone that wants to be of service, I'm not a service if I shy away from the difficult ones. I'm not really being who I can be and fulfilling what I can be if I don't do the brave stuff. And so I think you just got to have some faith in yourself. Being different isn't good, bad or anything. It's just 
it's just different. Mm. Um, and and I own how I represent that to the world. I'm totally in charge of my image. Uh, that old thing about what other people think about me is none of my business. I've had some, you know, with a nickname like Bilbo Baggins at high school and that sort of stuff, um, and and all this this bash upon sort of thing going on. There was plenty going on in my head. Uh, but when all said and done, I, I stand on stage to get some sort of recognition, and I'm always the shortest one there. Um, you know, I, I stand up next to other people who move mountains and travel across the globe, and they go, what about you, Bill? Have you had hardship? No, nah, not really. Have you done magnificent things? Well, not so, as you notice. Um, you know, so why are you here? Because I'm good at what I do, and I help people, and someone else decided I should be here. And I find there are some trigger mechanisms that work. I acceptance is a massive thing keeping myself grounded is a massive thing because i am emotive because i can let stuff get at me i find that i need to have escape mechanisms so for example mm. um being able to log into youtube and watch soldiers coming home actually grounds me you know i watch that huge emotion and if i need to tear up a bit i do and i go oh yeah, I got that out. Going and standing barefoot on my back lawn grounds me. You know, mm -hmm. and, and there's lots of reasons why that can be. Um, when I go in front of a CEO, I have to remember sometimes they are having me in their office because they see something in me. And so I've got the pragmatic thing. My first question every time I go into a sales appointment is, so Steve, can I ask up front, why is it you've agreed to see me today? What is it you want to cover? And as soon as I say that, the conversation suddenly becomes about what they want. And I can I can get into that because as someone that's no good on a blank page, as soon as they give me problems and they give me things that are happening, my whole inside goes, I need to solve this for you. And I'm in my element. So there are very, very simple things we can do that, that do that. I come out from some big sales and, you know, we do six-figure sales sometimes. And I sit in my car and I go, what have I done? What have I done? We do it. Oh my lord, what have I done? And I used to fight that. I used to, no, no, don't be stupid, don't be stupid. You can do this. You know you can. And what I've mm -hmm. learned is that that feeling lasts about 15 minutes. And so I just let it come. You know, yeah. I mean, I can get in my car, drive away, put the radio on, go, oh, wow, can we do this? Oh, what have I done? Oh, boy, I hope we can deliver that. All the things that could go wrong. That's actually really useful because I need to know some of the stuff that can go wrong because I usually focus on all the stuff I can do right. And at the end of 15 minutes, I sort of go, oh, well, now we better yeah. get on and do it. And it's actually far more effective and cathartic, if you like, to let that feeling come through and go out the other side and know that at the other side of that feeling, the, the good me and all the people I've got around me, we can nail anything. So, mm. you know, having, having these little mechanisms and confidence on stage, you look out there, uh, and maybe there's 300, you know, I think my biggest audience has certainly been over 10,000. And it's, you, you look at it and you sort of go, whoa, the, the feelings you get for fright are the same feelings you get for excitement, but you have the choice as to which way you interpret them. So I look at an audience out there and I go, time to shine. I could crash and burn horribly or I could be magnificent. I wonder what's going to happen. And I get really interested in what happens next. Um, mm. And I think about all the things I can do that will make it work well. The thing that stands out for me, Bill, is, you, is you're quite right. You know, we have this ability behind us to do amazing things. And then 
it is interesting you mentioned about when you get after that you get this flood of emotion because it's so true like you either you know we talk very much about duality the high and the low you know we we naturally sometimes sit more comfortably in chaos of of the high of amazement or oh my god the world's ending you know it's it's more a rare moment and i think over time with age you definitely get a bit better at balancing but there's always that gap I don't, I'm yet to meet a dyslexic that sits in complete calm at any point in their life for more than 25 minutes at a time. But it's like, it's amazing. And like, I think if you can get to that point where you can push through those problems, push through those challenges and truly accept what you're doing. And I think that's what I love about you, Bill, is you keep moving forward. You know, you're, you're like me. We've both learned a lot more over the years how momentum works. And if you stick at something long enough but tweak it a bit, it's a lot better than jumping from ship to ship. <laughs> you know, it's, and I've just like I, I've watched you. I've watched you grow with Attain, and you've done so well. It's been so heartening to see see how far it's come, and also picking the right people to work with. I think that's so. Would you agree that's a real valuable thing? Uh, well, the team we've got now is certainly an object lesson in that, but we treat them right. We work really hard at those relationships. It doesn't happen by accident. Um, all, all, all that is true. Um, I think being very open, you know, when we have honest conversations in there, I thank our team because I never in my wildest dreams believed after 15 years of being a solopreneur, you know, I had good stuff, but I was always limited and I was bored and I was frustrated that team has allowed me to actually, uh, in conjunction with my business partner, Sean, create an empire that I never thought I would. And I'm not particularly into empires, but I'm into the experiment. I'm into the game. I'm into finding out how far we can go because what I don't want to do is look back and regret not trying it. And I'm very open and very emotional with my team about thanking them because they've helped me do this. And underneath all that as a bedrock is the fact that the bigger engine I've got means I help more people. Yeah, you know, we, we, we now we now have impact. We literally double businesses. You know, we get I, I get phone calls on a regular basis from people going, I've just doubled my prices and I didn't lose a single client. Thank you. I get phone calls from people going, Bill, I don't know what to do. I'm about to go into a meeting. So I tell them and they ring me afterwards and go, Yes, we got that one. Thanks. Um, there's if you if you if your service motivation uh, is your strong motivation, then those thank yous are all you need to keep mm -hmm. going. I mean, you know, I, I probably should be a little more money focused in truth, but um, don't worry, none of us, are. none <laughs> of us are. I'm yet, I'm yet to meet, I'm yet to meet any dyslexic who money is ever the only driver. It's only ever a borrowed goal, or it can be used as a measuring stick. But apart from that, money in itself is never ever the driver. And I would put my foot down on that until I meet someone who breaks that rule. Well, I know, I know. Sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, it's interesting because it's it's the same with you, mate. Like you're 100% service driven. That does not mean you're not going to earn money and you're going to be paid for what you do, but it isn't the reason. It's never the it's never the stake in the ground um, that, that makes it, you know, I, I've never seen it. Like I've seen people who have thought it is, but you dig under the layers and it never is the thing they're truly looking for. Would you agree with that? Well, I know... I know um, being who you are is a strength because if uh, there was once upon a time Bill Gates was the richest man in the world, the fourth richest man in the world was the guy that supported Bill Gates. Um, mm. You know, if if 
I am a supporter by nature. If you think about it, I'm a star personality. I should be on the stage. I'm a supporter. I want to help people on stage. What I do is I help more people. And I'm a deal maker, which allows me to then go and find the jobs. If those are my strengths, that's why one reason I went into speaking. Uh, mm. When I left high school, I actually had a couple of scholarships for acting and singing, but there was no film industry in New Zealand and no one hires, you know, five foot seven Welsh guys. Um, <laughs> so I, I went and did a commerce degree instead. Um, and this is a typically dyslexic sort of thing. I went into the university that day to enroll in law and I went to the commerce department purely as, as a kind of, I wonder what it's like. And the dean was there, and he had a look at my marks. And he said, "No, don't don't roll here." He said, "You'll not, you won't make it, not with marks like that," which instantly made me go straight to the registry office and enroll in a commerce degree. And it's the only reason I got a commerce degree instead of a law degree, and I'm glad I went that way, not the other. But I mean, it's just very typical. Um, but uh, if if you play to your strengths, if you're a supporter, the money flows when you do what you naturally do. Mm. Um, and there's a couple of expressions I do love. Like I think it's a John Wayne one, which is if you go out looking for friends, they're scarce. If you go out to be a friend, they're everywhere. Um, and Zig Ziglar, help, us, help a lot of people get what they want and you'll get what you want. Um, mm -hmm. I've adapted and adopted and grabbed that philosophy and said, well, hang on. You know, if I'm only going to go around once, if I can help people get what they want and I can get what I want too, life is good. And, and so over yeah. decades... I've helped thousands and it's awesome. And it's what I want to be remembered for as my legacy. The dyslexia has simply helped me be unique and I cannot stop being that. So my only realistic, livable success option is to embrace it. Right. You know, I love it. I'm going to stop you there because that's a brilliant, brilliant end because you know it's exactly what we talk about is awareness acceptance action and you can't you know taking action without the awareness and acceptance leads you down a lot of wrong paths and, and you've said it so well around that and accepting yourself because we are who we are we are perfect as we are it's now your time to become aware how you can use your brain that little bit better to create your life like bill has and um thank you so much for your time bill you you're an absolute star My pleasure all right. Cheers, Steve. Always. Great. I hope you guys all enjoyed that interview. Um, I'm going to try and do more and more of these. People really love the success stories, the tips from people. Um, you know us. We're always talking to people who are actually dyslexic. It's really important to get that real life experience. If you've enjoyed that episode, make sure you join the Adult Dyslexia Secrets Group on Facebook where we are supporting adult dyslexics and allowing you to tell your secrets, which uh, you only want people who understand how your brain works to hear. Um, yeah, it's a really great place of awareness, acceptance, and action. So have an epic rest of your day, and I'll be back on Monday.